Please be seated. Open your Bibles if you brought them today to Luke 17. We're going to start in verse 11. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks be to God. Does God deserve thanks? If so, how do we give it to him? This is one way that this one man did it. And thanks is so important. I want you to think of it this way. We're going to come back to this. Paul said prayer is two things. He was teaching the church. He said, tell God what you need, please, and thank him for all he's done. Thank you. And I think the reason Paul has to remind churches, especially his church people, even 2,000 years ago, that prayer and talking to God is please and thank you is because we tend to go at prayer like this. And we tend to forget that there's a second half to this. It's really important that not only to give to God what God is due, but that will change your heart and my heart and our hearts all together if we can learn that prayer is a two-handed thing. Now, the interesting thing about this is Meister Eckhart, back in the 14th century, said if you had to choose one prayer to say your whole life, all of us would be like, we choose this, right? He said, if you only learned one prayer, let it be thank you. That would be enough. If you only had one prayer to pray your whole life and you had to pick one of them and you don't, pick thank you. It would suffice. Now let me retell this story. This story that Jesus is um, going into this foreign, pagan place. Um, he's basically... Moving from Texas to Oklahoma, okay? So, sorry, he's a longhorn going into the pagan Sooner area, right? He crosses the border. No sooner has he crossed from the good and bountiful land into sketchy Oklahoma than he, and a lot of people would go around Oklahoma, to be fair, okay? They would go around it. Jesus went through it because he thinks, you know, these people, though a little scummy, they need the grace of God, right? So he's there, and he sees these Okies calling out for help. And they weren't just any Okies. Um, they were diseased. They had leprosy. And when you had leprosy in the Bible, um, it was terrible. I mean, all of us know the diseases where your mind becomes a prisoner in a body that's failing. And we think, dear God, let that not happen to me. Let me not die that way. Well, these men were dying that way. 
Um, when you had leprosy, your mind was fine and your body began to rot and fall off. And so they were losing fingers. They had stubs. They were losing circulation in hands and toes. They would lose their noses, ears. They began to be disfigured and deformed. And so these are basically the, the walking dead calling out to Jesus right as he crosses the border, have mercy on us. Now, why do they need mercy? Well, first of all, just the physical, right? Um, but that wasn't all that they were going through because if you were a leper in this day, the day that you saw that first spot on your skin, that day that you saw that, if you had hugged your kids that day, that was the last time you'd ever do that in your life. If you had kissed your wife or your husband, that was the last kiss you were ever going to get. The last physical contact from any human being ever in your life, the day you found that spot on your skin, was the day you were cut off. And it was over. You were cut off from your family. You were cut off from the healthy people because you might make them sick. You were cut off from working. So it didn't matter what you had worked your entire life, the trade you had learned, the business you had built, you were done the day you found that spot on your skin. You had to go live in a leper colony. Now, all of us have been sick probably recently enough to know that when you're sick, people take a step back from you, don't they? Like, have you ever had your coughing and somebody moves their drink away, right? <laughs> or like just shifts their seat. Like, my whole staff is sick this week, okay? So I was sitting at the leper colony of our staff meeting thinking, where do I flee this week to get away from the creeping crud of everyone? You know, Martha texted me this morning. She's like, I've got the stomach flu. I'm like, great. You know, because we just have this all, all these diseases going around. And when your disease people back away from you, this was their life. Not only back away, but get away, get out. You can't live in this town anymore. Imagine if that was your life. Imagine if because you were sick, you were cut off. And then imagine that you were cut off from God. Because leprosy didn't just rob you of your body and rob you of your whole good life. It meant you were unclean, and therefore you couldn't approach God. And so you weren't welcome in synagogue anymore. So glad that we live today because when you get sick, when any one of us do, we wrap our arms around each other and we pray for each other just like we did today. Back then, though, they said, you're done. You're out. And so these ten broken, shattered individuals call out to Jesus and interestingly, they don't demand a certain kind of healing. They just say, have mercy on us. Please, we're suffering. Please look at our lives. They're terrible. Help us, right? That's this prayer. Help us. And y'all, if you don't think it took faith to take your broken body and put it on display before everybody and call out to someone you call master, help, that's faith. 
So they call out help. And the first thing Jesus does in verse 14, Jesus looks at them. That's not a throwaway. Because, you know, their whole past years, months, however long they've had leprosy, every time someone comes near them, if they're even close, they look away. They don't make eye contact with these men. Just like the people on the street corners, you don't make eye contact with. And they call out to Jesus, help us. And he looks at them. And he sees in their faces, these broken down faces, enough faith to be healed. Enough hope to cry out. And so he says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And you're like, what? Have you ever noticed that when Jesus heals people, sometimes he's like, heal me, and he like spits in the ground, right? Or heal me, and he's like, you're forgiven. And you're like, what? Like, he, help us. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, which is what you did if you were healed. But they weren't. They're sick still. He didn't heal them then. He just says, Go show yourselves to the priests. No guarantee. No promises. And so now these lepers who can't get around too well have this choice. Is this a cruel trick? Am I going to hobble to the priests and still look this way? And they're going to say, get out of here. Or do I believe in this man I'm calling master enough to go and not know how it's going to work out, but that it will? And as they went, and so they all choose to go. That's deep faith to hobble and limp towards the place of judgment, believing that because Jesus said, go, a miracle will happen. That's deep faith. And they go, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So imagine them, these ragged, beggars, hobbling, calling out unclean, and then suddenly or maybe gradually, we don't know how it happened, they, they look down, they look at each other, they can't even speak, your nose is back, your ears, and they reach up to touch their own and they're like, we've been made well. There was no cure for this. And Jesus made them well, put them back together again. Can you imagine the party these 10 guys are having when their lives are given back to them? I mean, they're shouting. Like a lot of times we come to church and we're like, you know, like, whoa, you know, these guys are like, get it started. It's like the jubilation you feel when Texas beats OU, you know, it's like, whoa, except for you, Doug. Yeah, okay. Um. It's like that kind of a day, only way better, because now they get to go home. Jesus gave them home back, gave them life back. And so where do they go? Home, I guess, or to the priests, like Jesus said. They go to get busy living, right? Live this life that he's given back. And there's this one guy who is the sooner in this group. Those were all the longhorns, okay? 
the sooner goes back and he's shouting and partying and he's like, praise God. And he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and says, thank you. And Jesus is like, where did the longhorns go? Where did the good people go? If only the Samaritan is here giving me praise. Now I'm using that as a silly example, but the people who ran away, who went to go live life and forgot to say thank you, they were the Jewish people. They were the people of God, people who, like you and me, knew the story. People who believed in the power of God to transform lives. People who knew that they were special, that they were part of a kingdom of priests, right? That they were part of the blessing of the world. They knew the story. They had the right bloodlines. They were healed and given a gift, and they ran away. And only this one guy who's an outsider, who doesn't have any claim on anything from God, only that guy comes back and says, thank you. Why? I mean, that's the key question of this whole passage is like, why? Because this is a warning for us, the good people the good church people, that's you and me, here on a rainy day, on ACL weekend, gold star for us, right? We're in the most danger. We're the most likely to remember please and forget thank you. Lots of reasons. I can think of a lot of reasons that this happened. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they were so excited that somebody else or something else became more important. Or maybe, and this to me is the darkest and most scary reason, maybe because they were God's people, when God restored them, they thought they deserved it. Maybe they thought that the good life was what they had earned by being God's children. And so when Jesus gave that to them, it didn't feel like a gift. It felt like getting back what I deserve. Repaying me for those years I spent hurting. And how many of us wouldn't admit that we have prayed that way? Lord, I'm a good person. Why is this happening? And so only the Samaritan... Maybe, because he had no claim. He had no expectation. When something good happens, he doesn't say, well, I deserve that, or it's about time. He said, this is a gift, and I need to go thank the giver. It's hard for us. We're accustomed to good things, right? I mean, think about the poor kids. I played a bad trick on them. Did you notice how many said thank you? Nobody. Why? Well, it's awkward, right? Why? Because there's donuts and cookies and you come to this church and the pastor is going to give you treats. We expect it, right? 
but for whatever reason, we have a hard time saying thank you. How do we get better? Because thank you is not only good for your relationship with God, it is so good for your heart. Studies have shown this. Secular studies have studied gratitude. We're wired for it. These researchers um, had people in three groups write down three different things. One group wrote down life events, five life events each day. One group wrote down five stressors. And I've heard people say, write down the things that stress you out. It'll help. And then one group wrote down gratitude, five things they were grateful for. They did it for two weeks. All they had to do was write down one of those categories, and they stayed in the group. At the end of two weeks, pretty much no change in these two groups. This group, significant increase in life satisfaction, joy, happiness. This group that just wrote down five things they were glad for, nothing else changed. They didn't win the lottery, and their life was better, remarkably better. And so there's all these studies now studying gratitude. Like if we could just be more grateful, we'd be happier. Okay, so that's our homework today. I'm going to tell you how to be grateful, how to be happy, how to be thankful, right? If we're saying please, what do we do? Do I want you to stop saying please? No. Please is good. Please takes faith. It's hard to ask. It's hard to walk when you don't know what's going to happen. Don't stop asking. That's not the point. The point is to start saying thank you so that we have the two hands together in our prayers, not just the one. So how do we do it? Well, we just start saying thank you. Let's do that research experiment, okay? Let's try it. I want you to have homework for the next two weeks until I Love My Church Sunday. I want you to write down every day or type into your phone or wherever you put it, I want you to put down five things you're thankful for. Five. Okay? And you don't have to do anything more than that, but if you want to, you can say, thank you, God, for these five things. I mean, did this guy spend a whole lot of time? Did he, like, develop a paragraph and write a thesis and stuff like that? No, he just goes and says, thank you. So you just write down five things, five new things every day. Tell me how you feel next Sunday. You're going to feel amazing. Because remember how we have a choice in life on what to focus on? I told you that a couple weeks ago. I see people who focus on the negative and it's like going down the drain. There's enough negative in any life that you can be circling the toilet bowl pretty quick. I watched the other day as a bird just right over the hill mounted on the thermals. Have you ever seen that? Just slowly, I had never really, I've seen them circling, but I've never watched them get there. Just started real low by the trees, and each circle got a little higher, a little higher, a little higher, until that bird was so high in the air, I lost him from view. And if we begin to be thankful, it's just like just circling here, you're going to take the upward path, up and up and up if you're grateful. Five things to be grateful for. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that we can do to cultivate thankfulness is to be generous. Um, look at this man. What he did is he had this brand new life. Okay, that's what he'd been given. That was the gift. You get your life back. And he took the first hour, 30 minutes, the first, to say thank you to Jesus. That's all. And Jesus says that faith 
The faith that healed his body was one level of faith. The faith that healed his heart was the thankfulness. It says that's healed you. Just 30 minutes or an hour. So take that into giving and generosity. This is what I love when we come to stewardship is that God doesn't say to us, hey, I really need $1,000 from you, so go get a job and make it happen. We don't see that. We don't see set number amounts. What we see is when you bring in your harvest, bring the first basket to God. Just say, God, we've been working on this all year. The rain came at the right time. You helped us persevere. There were many late nights when you gave my arms and my legs strength, right? That's what a farmer would say. You helped me know when to plant. So now I've got this whole field, and this first basket is yours. The tithe, when you get your check. That's what the way most of us harvest the crops nowadays. When we get our check in. See, the nine who ran away would have said, well, I earned this. Would have been a lot like Jimmy Stewart in that old movie Shenandoah. Have you all ever seen that, how he prayed? He would pray. Um, his wife died, and she, she, he wasn't very religious, but he made, she made him promise that he'd pray. And so he sits down at Thanksgiving. He's like, God, we harvested all this food. Um, we did all the work. We broke our back to do it. We, I mean, he talks about everything we do, but, but thanks anyway. You know, like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, that's, that's the nine who run away. That's their attitude. The one who comes back says, this is a gracious gift from you. Thank you. So when you get your check and you, you take the first 10%, the tithe, and you give it to God, you're just saying thank you. You know, God isn't asking for something we don't have. It's when we receive something, we give it back and we say, you're the one who gave me these skills, God. You're the one who helped me grow up in this home or be mentored by these people. Thank you for the ideas that I've had over the course of this time. Thank you that I have a job when others don't. And let me help you do your work, God. Thank you. Just 10%, just the first part please, and thank you. Church people tend to be good at please and bad at thank you. But not us, okay? We're going to be two-handed prayers. We're going to call to mind what we're grateful for. We're going to be like that crazy sooner who ran back, who said thank you and gave the first hour of his life back to Jesus. Not just so... God can receive our praise, but so that we can be healed. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you. Just the fact that we are here today is a gift from you. And we forget all too often in our joy and our excitement, or maybe in our idea that we did it for ourselves, to come back to you and tell you how grateful we are, God, for all that you've done in our lives, for the ways you've healed us, for the ways you put our lives back together again. We are so grateful. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw our focus this week to the things we are grateful for, to the blessings that you've given us so that we can be like that bird and go higher and higher and higher in your love and your strength and your mercy. Amen.